This is a, a rather unique uh, uh, service today. I have uh, lots of things to share with you, but uh, I think I shared last week that we this this uh, this week this service has been probably 15 years in the making, and uh, and so as I say that that. I don't. I don't know what you're expecting. I don't know if you're expecting some explosive thing to happen, um, but uh, I, I find I find that when when things are growing, it's oftentimes it's pretty quiet and it's not noticeable unless you're paying attention. And um, so through the years, this is this is my story connected to your story. It's our story together because we've been walking together for all of these years, right? And so uh, this part of the story, I'll, I'll tell you, started 24 years ago when I became lead pastor at Lighthouse. And I, and I felt like this little guy in this uh, picture that's uh, behind me now. Um, I, I, had inherited, uh, I had inherited a congregation and a building and a debt and everything else from, uh, from previous leaders, um, and our ministries didn't look the same. This building was built around uh, Scott Erickson's pulpit capacity, which is far far greater than mine. And I'm not saying that um, as, as some kind of self-deprecating kind of a way. I'm just saying I've watched Scott Erickson and the way God has used him through the years. I celebrated. He's my spiritual father. Uh, so much of what I do in ministry, I do because of Scott Erickson. But if you look at the, the, the way the buildings were built, you can follow the history of the church. So the double wide area over there that is the Kids Club Junior area. That's where the church started here on our property uh, with about 20 or 30 people. There were other pastors before Scott and Bonnie, but when Scott and Bonnie came here, they were going to shut it down because it just kind of tripped along and didn't do much. And then when Scott and Bonnie came here, well, then a couple of years later, then the brick building, a couple of years after that, then the metal building, three services in the metal building, and then this building was built. Um, and all of that, you know, was around the ministries that God was blessing at that time. And so Scott, uh, in his pulpit skill, Tom, uh, Tom and Becky Davis, with their musical ability and administrative ability, uh, grew this house. We, we used to fill this house um, on regular occasions for things. I remember one of my first tasks was in 1993 uh, when uh, I was asked to host the power team, and we had zero budget, zero budget, um, they needed uh, probably five uh, rental vehicles. They needed rooms for eight people. They needed food every day. Can you, you know, power team guys, they can eat a lot. Like they could eat like a whole, a whole herd of cattle by themselves. And, uh, and so all of that, and so I was tasked with this, and, and by the end of the week, uh, between the, the five schools that we got into to do, uh, you know, to do our program, their programming, all that kind of stuff, and then the packed house every night, a thousand people came to Christ in this room, a thousand people. That was amazing, you know, and, uh, and then after they were gone, I laid in the bed for three days and could not get up. Um, it's uh, the the post adrenaline letdown, and uh, so uh, so you know we we've done some big things, but uh, in the the by and large the the, the length of it uh, was that I was like I need to understand what needs to happen now. Uh, if, you know those of you that have been here any length of time, we we had there was a there was a person that was between Scott Erickson and me as far as our, our leadership role, and I won't even mention him. But um, but there was a moral failure situation, and and so. Holly and I began pushing the broom on that um, and beginning to rebuild trust. And so we had a big debt. We had a lot of mistrust in leadership. Uh, I was voted in with about, I think, 96%. And then within a, a year, 100 people left the congregation, uh, which made it a lot harder to do the thing that we were felt called to do. 
And so we just began walking that out. And again, uh, you know, trusting the Lord and believing God, but I'm 30 years old, never having had any senior pastor experience, didn't know what I was doing. Um, and, but God gave us wisdom and he blessed us every step of the way. And, and there's, the story's too long to tell um, to get where I want to go today. Um, but five years in, it was five years, and I remember walking and praying in here, and the Holy Spirit said, you've steadied them long enough, now it's time to stir them, and if you won't stir them, I'll move you. It's important for us all to understand that there is a head of the church, and I'm not him. Jesus is the head, right? And, and so I have an assignment, and you have an assignment. And we have an assignment that we need to carry out. And it's an assignment of responsibility that, that when we stand before the Lord, there will be some field of endeavor he will talk to you about, just like he will talk to me about what he wanted to do at Lighthouse and how much of it got accomplished and how much I just sucked my thumb and sat on my hands and didn't do what it was God wanted me to do. Because let's just be honest, we all have those moments. We all have those seasons in our life. We all, we all reach those places where, where, you know, yeah, God is able, but I don't know if I am. And we don't trust and we don't obey. And so in that season, Holy Spirit said, if you don't stir them, I'll move you. And then I got busy. I got busy trying to figure out what a healthy church looked like. Because a sick church is a whole lot easier to run around and do first aid on. Because you don't have to cast any vision. You ain't doing no vision. You're just trying to get people to hang on. Hang on till Jesus comes. Trust the Lord for another week. And you just do that and do that. Well, what do you do when, when all the noses have been wiped and all, all the first aid has been done and the bandages, now we're, now we're healthy. What are we supposed to do with that? I didn't know. I had not a clue what to do with a healthy church. Nobody had ever taught me that. And so I began to research. And so I spent two, uh, two different sessions, one week each, out at uh, Jack Hayford's School of Pastoral Nurture. Um, I, I, I had a constellation of mentors in my life that would talk to me out of their experience, but nobody could really tell me what the mission of Christ looked like. There, here's what I discovered in my, in my search. Churches organize around different things. Some churches organize around the personality of the pastor. Well, my personality is not that cool, so we can't organize around that. Some churches organize around position. Oh, we've got we've got the lead pastor, and then we've got the music pastor, and we got the we got the you know the youth pastor, we got the children's pastors. They organize strictly around a position, and so whatever that position is, that's what you organize around. And if that person's really sharp at what they do, then they can gather a lot of people. Well, that kind of polarizes because now you have walls that you built up, silos that you built up within the congregation that's around whatever that ministry is. And don't mess with my people; they're mine. This is our kids' church, nobody else's, right? And so they organize around position. And uh, I, I looked at, I studied that, and I said, well, that's, that's not right. And then, and then some churches organize, organize around their past history. You know what I'm talking about? Our, our church is 250 years old. Show me that member that's 250 years old. I want to meet them. The church is the people, Right? You might have a building that goes way back. You might have a legacy that lives on that goes way back, but you can't build on past history. That's just looking in the rearview mirror. Jesus is all up in, in the here and now, and he's moving forward, right? So, so you know, churches build on, build on programs. They, get a, they find something that works really well. They run that program until that program plays out, and then what do they have? 
right? And, and so we, we've got to ask ourselves, okay, Lord, and this is me, this is Ken Kramer, this is tell, I'm telling you how I think. Uh, I need to understand what it looks like, what the local church is supposed to be. And the best picture that I could find is found in Ephesians chapter 4. It's in your notes today. Why don't you read it out loud with me? <clears throat> Clear your voice. Get yourself ready. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, uh, different groups in the body of Christ handle this text differently, all right? And uh, I want to share with you what I've come to understand about it. Um, You may disagree with me, and that's okay. I'm not a theologian. I'm a practitioner, and I'm a practitioner who has in mind that I'm going to do whatever is in the Word of God. If it's in the Word of God, I don't cut it out. If it's in the Word of God and I don't understand it, I study it out. I research it out. I get into, I get into the original languages. I, I say, okay, how has this historically been dealt with? And then what does this mean to us here at Lighthouse? So this is the best that I have come up with so far. All right. If you came from a Catholic background, you would understand the idea of apostolic succession. And some of you, I just use two words that usually are not used together. And uh, but you would understand apostolic succession because you would recognize the Pope as the apostle of the church, the head of the church. Right. And where did that come from? That came from uh, Matthew chapter 16. When Peter gets it right, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says what? Uh, You know, you are, I I say, Simon, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So apostolic succession, if you're a Catholic, is through the lineage of the Pope. And so the Pope traces back, and this is why it's important to track history in the Catholic Church, is because we've got to know who the last one was and what he said, because when the Pope is in his seat and he speaks ex cathedra, he's speaking as of the voice of God. Are you tracking with me? So for some of you, that that may or may not make any sense at all. But this is how the Catholic Church has dealt with this idea of apostles. Um, And uh, then you have in in the evangelical church, we don't really know what to do with it. We say, well, all the apostles are dead, right? And and so there are only 12. Well, let me caveat there. There were only 12, and then one passed off the scene, and so they elected somebody in his place. But what about Paul? Was he an apostle? Yeah, Paul's an apostle, but he wasn't one of the original 12. So if you want to limit it to 12, you got to cut out the apostle Paul. You cut out the apostle Paul, you cut out two-thirds of the books in the New Testament. There's a problem with that, right? So, so how do we grapple with this idea of apostleship? Is it an office, or is it? can we just simply use the word gift? Because that's what Ephesians 4 says, that, that, that these five-fold ministry gifts are given by Jesus, So, in the assemblies of God of which I am happily a part, 
I am happily part of the assemblies of God. Um, but there came through, every movement has its own reactions. And so those of you that uh, remember hearing about the latter rain movement back uh, during the charismatic renewal, Latter Rain Movement, one of the excesses of the Latter Rain Movement was uh, a, a little bit of shepherding that went in where, where leaders who were considered to be apostles or prophets would tell people who to marry and who not to marry. And, uh, and, and so in, in response to the excesses and the fact that a lot of AG churches got split, the Assemblies of God put a white paper together uh, that limited the, the roles uh, to, to evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And, and they said, we just don't know what to do with the apostle and the prophet, so we're just not even going to address it. And, and so it was kind of a doctrine that was like, you know, we're not going to talk about that. And so in our movement, I'm, I'm fully AG, uh, you know, all of my degrees come from AG school, so uh, I'm, I'm not speaking out of turn. I, I know what our stream can stomach and what it doesn't like and all of that kind of thing. And I'm aware of that, but I'm still grappling with the fivefold. It's right there in Bible. You can't say that apostles and prophets can just be cut out of the Bible. You just can't do that. Are you tracking with me? And, and so, so this has been a journey of understanding to understand. And this is what I used to teach in kids' church, right? The apostle is kind of like the thumb. Everybody hold up your hand. Go ahead. You know you, know you want to. The apostle is like your thumb. It, it, it can touch all the others. And it helps to get a grip on a new community, a new project, a new continent, a new nation. The, the, the apostle helps to grip things. The prophet is like the pointer finger. He points things out in the word. Hey, you got to do the word. This is the word right here. Here's the word. Do the word. Do the word. You do the word. You do the word. Right? The, the evangelist is like the, the middle finger. Uh, they stand out a little bit more than the others. Every evangelist that I know is kind of a standout personality. You know, one time Holly and I were visiting a big uh, church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We had never, ever been there before. We were in the nosebleed section up in this massive church, Grand Rapids First Assembly. And I didn't know any of the guys on the platform, but I looked down there and I told Holly, and, and Heather was like, she was like this big. She was running up and down the balcony, almost lost her off the end. Um, and, uh, and, and so uh, I, I looked on the platform and I said, honey, I don't know anybody else on the platform. I don't know the senior pastor. I don't know what he looks like. I said, but you see that guy with those crazy shoes and that funny tie? That's the evangelist. <laughs> sure enough, that's what happened, right? So the evangelist is the is standout. The pastor is like your ring finger. He's married to the church. You know, the, the pastor is always connecting with people. It's people's story. That's the thing with me, man. I just love stories. You know, the only way that I can, that I can stay in one place as long as I have is because I get connected to the joy uh, of people's stories as they walk out their faith. And so every new person I talk to, tell me your story. I want to know your story. It's not because I want to compare it with anything else. It's just because that's what keeps me alive. Staying connected to people's stories and watching you grow—that's one of the things that I just love. And then the teacher is kind of like your little uh, your your little finger. He can take one verse and just get into your ear with it. Okay, so maybe those aren't biblical, but it's a good teaching tool. So, uh, so the this understanding of okay, we believe fully in the baptism in the Holy Spirit and all his gifts, don't we also believe fully in all the gifts of Ephesians chapter 4? We have to say we do. And if we do, then we have to say, okay, you know, like, you know, some people in the world, well, I'm, 
I'm a person that understands the Bible. I don't really need a pastor. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go look at Jesus face to face and say, Jesus, thanks, but I don't really need a pastor. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's the head of the church. He, he took out of his own being, all five of these flow right out of the person of Jesus Christ. You and I are not like a body. We are the body of Christ. Those two words that you learned in English, one was a metaphor and one was a simile, right? And a simile is a comparison using like or as, but a metaphor is a, is a direct uh, correlation. And so Paul doesn't say in Corinthians, the church is like a body. He says the church is the body. When, when uh, Saul got corrected by Jesus for persecuting the church, what did Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He didn't say my people. He said, why do you persecute me? Jesus takes it very personal when you, when you gossip against him, when you slander against him, when, when, you, are, uh, when you misuse his people because it's him. For as much as you've done to the least of these, you've done to me, right? So if you follow the ministry of Jesus, you can find the apostolic ministry of Jesus whenever Jesus speaks from design. He, he says to his brothers, who his brothers are trying to take him down to uh, Israel, to, to Jerusalem for the feast, and he says, any time is good for you, but there's timing involved in what I'm doing. You know, he said, my, my, my point is not to make a name for myself. My point is to obey the will of the father. And he knew exactly what he needed to do to do it. Right. And, and so there's, there's apostolic when you, there are words, some of the words of Jesus that you would find in the new Testament that are written in red, as he begins to talk about, this is what I will do. And this is what I won't do. And this is how we're going to go about it. Have the people sit down in groups of 50, you know, and you know, all of these arranging kind of things, that's, that's apostolic. That's Jesus's apostolic ministry. Then there's the prophetic. Jesus would call people out. He would recognize faith. He could, he could look at a room and he could say, this one's got faith, but the person sitting right next to him doesn't have it. How does he know that? He's a prophet. He's a prophet, right? And, and so, so he speaks prophetically into the lives of people. Jesus obviously is the greatest evangelist that the world has ever known right? Uh, So he is the good news. It's not just, you know, so when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is Jesus at that moment? He's an evangelist. He's telling people the good news. You get the point. He said, uh, he said, I am the good shepherd. And then he looked at Jerusalem and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would love to just gather you together and, 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 and look after you like a hen does its chicks. He would say, look at those people. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Why does that matter to Jesus? Because he is the good shepherd. And he's raising up shepherds even today. Jesus is the greatest teacher that has ever lived. He teaches with authority and not as the teachers of the law, right? He teaches with authority. So what does Jesus do? When he ascends up to heaven and he pours out the Holy Spirit, the fivefold ministry gifts come back to us so that we might be built up as if it was the Lord himself. I was... 
talking to a man this past week and I had an opportunity to lead him to the Lord. I did the work of an evangelist even though I'm not an evangelist, right? And, and as I was talking with him, I said, let me tell you about the, the human, the, the, the personal development, human development system that was founded 2,000 years ago and the leader left and, uh, with a small band of people, about 120 strong, and now it's in 200 nations of the world and he's been gone for 2,000 years. That's a pretty good people development system. Can't knock it. What is it? It's this thing that Jesus does. And what does he do? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He said all of these things. This is what Paul says. He said, um, he said to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, here's, here's the thing that you and I need to understand. We need to have a clear understanding. I work for the Lord, and you are my work. I don't work for you. I don't do your work of ministry. You are in full-time ministry. You work 8 to 10 hours to 15 hours a day. Some of you working, and you're out there, and you're doing the stuff. You are the front line of ministry of this house. And I'm here to equip you to do what you do. I'm here to make you the best possible husband and father that you can be, the best possible wife and mother that you can be, the best pop. That is your ministry. If you can't look after your own home, how can you look after the house of God, the Bible says. So I'm here to equip you for the work of your ministry in your home, out of your home. That's my job. I'm here to help you do that. I'm here to show you the things that are going to stop you from, being to, from prospering in that area. Look, if you keep treating people this way, it's not going to work well for you. I just need it. You need to understand that. It's, it's no skin off my teeth, you know, but you need to understand it's not going to go well with you. And I got to do my job as a leader to say, this is how you set your house in order. These are the things you need to do. I'm here to equip you for the work of your ministry, right? And so a lot of times we, you know, churches get it backwards. They say, oh, we hire that pastor and we pay him to do ministry for us. No, a pastor's job is to equip you so that you're effective at the thing that Jesus has called you to do. I have my assignment, you have your assignment. There is a field of endeavor Jesus will talk to us about when he sees us. My family is part of that field of endeavor. This house is part of that field of endeavor. And and so I don't know what yours is, but you do. Because Jesus gives us open book tests. It's called the Bible, open it. And as you read it, you will discover there are things in there that God is going to call you to do. And, and so I'm here to help you uh, as we move together. So to equip his people for works of service so that we may build, be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, become mature. You know, when we are, when we are mature as human beings, we produce more than we consume, Right? 
So we produce more than we consume. We, when we're young, we take in, take in, take in, take in. We take in time. We take in energy. We take in money. We take in support. All, all of that. But when we mature, we get to the place where we're, we are able to look after others. Where we are able to do more than just put in the time. Now we're influencing others. Now we're, now we're doing things that we couldn't do before because we've learned, okay, I don't have all of these needs. Now my needs are taken care of. Now I can go on and do the thing that God's called me to do. And so it's so important for us to be able to do that. Notice here, he says, um, he says, uh, let's see. Um, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Here's the thing I want you to get. If you leave off one of those, if you leave off just one of those, then the body is deficient in some area. Like, we could be a really, really well-taught church, but if we're never taught to evangelize, we won't grow. And most churches, then I have a, I have a certification in congregational coaching, so I've studied all different kinds of churches and all different circles and all of that kind of stuff. And what typically happens in a congregation, in the, in the majority of congregations in the United States are about 75, 50 to 75, and probably about that same age. And usually it's because the church just revolves around whatever that pastor can do. If the pastor's sick, then the, the doors to the church don't get open on that Sunday morning. Um, it, it revolves around his skill set. It revolves around whatever it is that he can do. And, and let me tell you, I, I felt that. When I first became lead pastor and we lost those 100 people, I, I knew it was because of me. I knew it was because of me. And I didn't know how to do anything about it. I didn't. It wasn't my heart. It wasn't my desire. Um, but... You know, I was just like, Jesus, I just want to know what I'm supposed to preach on Sunday morning. I knew nothing about community, nothing about how to grow people, nothing about, how to, well, Pastor Ken, you're supposed to disciple. Everything, everything you would say that's on that paper, I would agree to. You're right, that needs to be done, but I don't have any more time. I can't get to it, right? And so what I want to show you right now is, is the culmination of the last, you know, uh, like I said, the last 24 years of understanding, but also the, the last 15 years of putting it together. Um, let's go ahead to the next slide there. Go past the little guy. And, okay. So if we were to talk about how Lighthouse is organized today and we were to map it according to Ephesians chapter 4, Holly and I would be right here in the center. You know, um, there's probably, let me talk about my bride for a second, just because she won't talk about herself. Um, my wife has, oh, that was perfect timing. Good job. My wife has served this house from the time she was probably about six years old. And she has served in every role, every position that you can imagine. Most of which were thankless. Most of which were in the back room taking care of babies, doing whatever needed to be done. Um, she has um, talked me out of quitting more times than anybody on the planet next to the Holy Spirit. Um, she uh, always could find some redeeming quality in something I said on any given day. Um, even though I, I had this uh, Chevy Tahoe that I would drive home and I swear the top of the steering wheel was flat because I'd go, why did you see that? <sighs> Particularly depressing sermon that I preached or something. And uh, what, I've, what I've discovered through, through uh, uh, th over, over the years of marriage is that I tend to be the, 
the visionary. I see the big picture of things and I can notice gaps, but my wife is down in all the details. How many of you found that in your marriage? You've got one, one, one party is thinking 10 years down the line. The other's thinking the next 10 minutes. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, God just is faithful to do that. Right. And so, uh, so he has put, uh, a, a dynamic manager with me who manages all the details. And, and I'm just, I'm just now, just in the past six months, um, more and more frequently as it relates to things around here, I'm saying, okay, that's a good idea. Why don't you handle that? And, and it's liberating because for the longest time, I just thought I was supposed to do it all. Like, why do I really, why, why am I so terrible at all this stuff? But here's, here's what I've learned. There's grace that is on your life for what God has for the assignment that he has for you. And where you don't have grace, that's somebody else's assignment. And you just need to find that other person and say, hey, can you carry it? And, you know, and the, thing, the thing that drains you causes somebody else to be excited. Like, give me something to organize. I'm like, ugh. Get out of the way. And I do. I've got like three organizers uh, in my house because Holly is the main one. Okay. And so she, she coordinates with the ELT and with the finance team and working through policy things and all of that kind of stuff. She's helping to coordinate that more now. Um, let, go back to the big picture. Back up. There you go. Okay. So, um, so if you and I were to talk about the apostolic function, I'm not talking about office of apostle, just apostolic function. Somebody's got to have vision. Somebody's got to manage right? So, so currently that's what that looks like here at Lighthouse. That's Holly and I. Um, so, so that would be the, the, the center part. Um, then we'd have over here, we have Josiah, um, who God has anointed to help us get into the presence of the Lord. Now, Josiah does more than just lead worship on Sunday mornings. There, there are several teams that he's responsible for, um, but that is a prophetic function, setting up, praying into the service, praying in and saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? What do you want to say this week? Um, there, there's a lot that goes into that. And, and so Josiah uh, organizes that, manages that, pulls all of that together, and that we would consider to be a prophetic function um, of, of uh, you know, the service. So that when we have conversations about what do you feel like the Holy Spirit wants to do this week, Josiah's got some words that he's, I'm, I'm sensing this, I'm feeling this, I'm thinking we're going to go this way with the songs, that, that kind of thing. And he does a whole lot more uh, with that, but that would be the primary function. Next. So over here we have Becky Richmond. This is the pastoral care area. This area right here um, is the part where if if somebody is if somebody is sick, they get a phone phone call into the office. Becky is going to reach out. Uh, Becky is organizing the Advocare, which is uh, we have a support system uh, where people, if they they have a need for counseling, anything like that, um, Becky is the connecting point on that. Um, she's also involved with our, our assimilation of what we do on Sunday morning. She's also involved um, with benevolence. She's uh, she she has many many different hats. Um, our vision behind what we want to do. Go back up to the, back up to the main one there for a second. If you were to imagine, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you something. I give, didn't give you the eight o'clock, so I didn't think about it. Um, so right now, when I look at Gloucester County, I think okay, we're a community of about forty thousand. Some some say thirty eight, some say forty one. I don't know where they get their numbers, but uh, the last demographics that I read was somewhere around forty thousand. If we were to say Lighthouse, we're gonna take it as our responsibility to from the extension area, which Andy Brown is now in since January, if we were to reach 4,000 people and bring them through the doors of the church where they could encounter God, 
And say we baptized 150 of them each year. And they got connected into the body through the ministry of pastoral care. And then they were trained under Pastor Daniel for discipleship. They were grown. They were, this is your Bible. This is who Jesus is. This is, a, this is a community that we're connected with, and this is how you can grow. Then they were discipled. Then they were sent back out to go get some more harvest. Are you tracking with me? So what our goal last at the beginning of this year was to build this area out under Becky to where it could, it could handle 500 people, to where we could, care, we could say we're a church that has a net that holds 500 uh, people here in-house, that we would be about that. And, and so, uh, so I'm just giving you a, a little bit of an understanding of what it is that we're attempting to do there, um, so that, because some of you sitting here today will say, well, I don't really know where I fit. And that's what Inside, or not Inside Lighthouse, but Inside Lighthouse is when we greet folks after a service on Sunday morning, but today, New Friends Luncheon. So say you've been here a couple of weeks, and you say, well, okay, this is all news, kind of like drinking from a fire hose. How do I fit? figure it out. What do I, how do I get involved? Um, you'd come to an inside, uh, I'm going to say it again. You'd come to a new friend's lunch like today, which we do about once every six weeks or once a quarter. And then you'll, you'll get to know my story. You'll get to know the stories of uh, some of our team members. And the smallest building unit here at, at Lighthouse is the team. So we say we want everybody on a team and everybody in a group. The groups are for you to grow. The groups are because God wants you to be connected to the body, and that's how you're going to get discipled. And we have some wonderful ladies groups here that are just amazing. Ladies Bible studies, they're all over the place. Um, we've, got, uh, we've got overcomers. Um, if you uh, have a habit that you're trying to get free of, um, I love overcomers. Overcomers meets two Mondays a month, and, uh, and to me, it's what church really ought to be. It's like take off the facade and sit there and just be who you are. And uh, I love that. And so uh, overcomers is happening. We have a lot of different ways that you can get involved. And then we are rolling out this year, uh, just in a, about a month, we're going to be rolling out our discipleship plan, which is kind of the master plan of discipleship for Lighthouse. And that's under Pastor Daniel's leadership, Jevy uh, Terrell, who's been working with us in that. And so uh, I, hope, I hope that gives you a, a, a point of perspective. Verse, uh, verse 15, and then I'll close and we'll move to the next section. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As you are trained for the ministry that God's called you to be trained for, you will have the opportunity to find expression in one of these five areas. Are you, are you following me? There was a time when I was a young, when I was a young man, the only ministry roles I ever saw were senior pastor, youth pastor. When I became children's pastor, that was like avant-garde. There weren't any children's pastors back then you know and uh and so you you know you you had a position but then it didn't quite fit who you were like you had to make it fit it was uh, there were a lot of square pegs got got put in round holes and a lot of people got disoriented because they weren't uh, they weren't building around how God had sovereignly 
created them. God has a, a perfect fit for you in his body, uh, but a lot of churches just haven't understood how the church needs to be oriented around the mission of Christ. God has, has perfectly fitted you around one of the areas that we mentioned here. And so uh, as you do your work, as I do my work, um, we're going to grow, we're going to build one another up in love. That's that the only, the only authority that I have as a pastor, as your pastor, is to build you up. I don't have any authority to tear you down as a person. And so what I want to do is say, okay, tell me your story. Tell me how you got from not knowing God to knowing God. Okay, now, based on how you now know God, what are your giftings? How has God sovereignly wired you up? Okay, based on that, let's, let's start growing. Let's start growing in your ministry, whatever that looks like. Let's, it's going to look at a, di- a different season in your home. It's going to look a different season in your, in your workplace, all of those kind of things. And we're just going to grow and we're going to develop uh, as we move together. Praise God.